And I am joined this morning from the University of Minnesota, Julie Weisenhorn. Good morning, Julie. Hey, good morning, Denny. How you doing? Well, I'm doing well. I'm a little confused, and I, I would have bet <laughs> our shrubs and plants and lawns are just as confused, if not more so. This is crazy. I know. It's like a balmy early April day, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, and I, I think we, we skipped a season. Yeah, you know, I think we did, like. too. And in fact, I'm looking at a text that came in a bit ago uh, about. And I knew we were going to get these. In fact, I had my own question. I think <laughs> I know there's there's some listeners that are tired of us talking about dormant seating. Oh, uh, my you know, gosh, we've I talked know. about it for so long, so <laughs> yeah, often. Uh, yeah. But this question uh, is, and then we'll invite our other listeners to join in too. Uh, Smart Garden Show. I did a lot of overfeeding, overseeding. I think they mean. Just before the snow, will this thaw and uh, and warm up with all the snow gone affect that overseeding? No, I don't. I don't think it's going to affect the seed itself, unless there are uh, birds out there that are eating it if they can find it. Um, but it's it's not warm enough for it to germinate at yeah. this point, so uh, it it's okay. But ser- <laughs> seriously, I, I I have some grass seed left over. And I can see all the areas that I've mm-hmm. that it needed to work, and I'm going to do that again this week. I don't want to do it when if we have pouring rain, right? Right. right. If there if there is the opportunity before a snowfall, that uh, according yeah. to John Trappy, that's that's the best time to do this. He said that you can seed at this point up through March. So okay, uh, so we still have some time. I have a bag of um, bee lawn mix. My neighbor uh, Dave and I have a strip between our houses that is pretty shady, and it's it's been notoriously uh, creeping Charlie for quite a few years. And Dave, uh, gardener to the core, went out and and uh, took out a lot of that uh, creeping Charlie and put down bee lawn seed. And I did that also. He did it uh, earlier this year, and then I've done it. Uh, I did dormant seeding. I just did that a few weeks ago. So. Yeah. Um, I have another bag that I'm going to put down probably a little bit later uh, in the season before it warms up too much. And hopefully we'll have a robust bee lawn in that space instead of a bunch of creeping Charlie. You know, you, we've used that, that term in the past. In the past, And uh, maybe for those folks that don't, what is a bee lawn mix? What, what is a bee lawn? So a bee lawn uh, mix, a seed mix that you would buy is a bee lawn itself is a lawn that uh, has mixed in perennial, hardy perennial flowers that can tolerate some mowing. And they are beneficial to bees as well. So the popular types that we use here in Minnesota are white Dutch clover, self-heal, and creeping thyme. So those are the three. Um, A bee lawn is... uh, you can get it established. Uh, the seed itself actually has a high percentage of fine fescue, which is of low maintenance, low nutrient requirements, tolerates drought and moist conditions, shade and sun. It's a really good uh, type of lawn grass for uh, for Minnesota. And bee lawn mix actually has about 90% grass seed in it. 80% of that 90% is fine fescue. Oh. The remaining 10 is Kentucky Blue, which is a common lawn grass that we use here. Uh, the remaining 10% of the 100% are these seeds for these perennial pollinator-friendly flowers. So the Dutch clover, 
and the self-heal in the creeping time. Mm. So a, a beeline actually is a lot of lawn, uh, but it's sparkled, <laughs> sparkled, it's sprinkled with these, uh, these perennial flowers that are beneficial to pollinators. So it turns a otherwise kind of a, you know, pollinator desert uh, area, a, a typical lawn that's just simply grass into uh, a beneficial lawn for bees and other pollinators. I was picturing it just the opposite, and I had no idea that it's mostly, I mean, really mostly grass. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly grass. And and as John says, buy your seed. Uh, you get what you pay for in lawn seed. So it is a little more expensive, uh, but really, you know, put some money toward your uh, toward whatever seed you use on your lawn. Whether yeah, lawn you do get otherwise. what you pay for. We've got some good seed around here too, if you look for it. That's so. right, we do. Yeah. Here's our phone number. It also happens to be our text number, so you can phone in your lawn or garden question or send a text. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Six five one four six one nine two two six. If you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is answering those particular questions today. And what a lucky person you are to office at the Arboretum. <laughs> I know. I know, isn't it crazy? <laughs> That's a good gig. It yeah. really is. Yeah, it's you know, it's a jewel of uh of horticulture here in for Minnesota and uh yeah, really just and and just such great staff. I mean, all the horticulturists on staff and the people who, you know, head up development and the people who run the bee center. And, yeah, it's just really a wonderful place to work. So and a, great to look outside. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, it's yeah, We'll talk more about the Arboretum and how do we that visit there and all of that uh, coming up. I remember many years, many years ago, my friend, and colleague Charlie Boone used to do right. a little bit of a uh, question and answer with uh, Dr. Leon Snyder. Oh, man, lucky him. I, yeah. He's the late, great Leon Snyder, and I wish I had met him. I was not in horticulture back then, but, yeah, he's. I've got a lot of his books. Uh, he wrote books about native plants for gardens, trees and shrubs for Minnesota then, but, yeah, he's. I've got a lot of his books. Uh, he wrote books about native plants for gardens, trees and shrubs for Minnesota landscapes. Some of the plants that are listed in the books are now considered noxious weeds because we've learned a lot about them, things like barberry and, and wow. euonymus, elatus. So uh, that's unfortunate, but still a wealth of knowledge in those books. You just have to know, you know what, you're, what you're looking at there. Sure. But, uh, but still really great. Great books. He was I bet a, a lot of our listeners remember that uh, that name, Leon Snyder. Yeah, Leon Snyder. Sure. Yeah, our one of our buildings is the Snyder Building. That's right. Arboretum. Yeah, at the Arboretum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, six five one four six one nine two two six. This texter says this: I winter sowed onions in milk jugs last winter and had good luck. Oh, nice. Haven't put them out yet. You think the weather? This weather is going to cause problems this year. Uh, I don't think so because we're still getting, I mean, it's still cold enough that you, uh, the purpose of, for people who don't know what winter sowing is, uh, it, there are seeds that require what's called a stratification period. So it could be 30 days, 60 days. This is a cold, moist time frame that the seed is in the soil and it goes through this and that, that process, that cold, moist condition actually, uh, 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 encourages the seed to germinate. And and so winter sowing can be putting out seed in your garden 
A lot of our native plants require this. Uh, but you can also winter sow in containers, and, and one of the common containers people use are the kind of semi-transparent milk jugs made out of plastic, the gallon milk jugs. And you, you can cut those in half, leave kind of a hinge where the handle is, and then fill it with soil that's moist, put your seed in it, and then close it up and tape it up, put a few holes in the bottom for drainage. And you set that jug right outside. Be sure to label it so you remember what it is. And you set it right outside in the snow or in really a cold location, a north side of your house. You don't want to put it in the south side because it will actually warm up too much. You want to, you want to subject those seeds to that cold, moist condition. It's called stratification. And a follow-up question, and you've kind of answered that. When is a good time to start winter sowing outdoors? It depends on the seed. So, uh, for example, let's say you're going to do liatris. Liatris is a, a native plant here in Minnesota. You could do that now. That requires about 60 days of stratification. So you can do a lot of that, those hardy plants, uh, our native plants in particular, you can do now. Uh, but some plants like, uh, you know, that are warmer season plants like tomatoes and peppers, you could do those in April and get a jump on uh, your transplants at that point too. So um, they don't need a stratification period. They don't need that cold, moist period. But it's still a great way. It kind of forms a little greenhouse, as, as our friend Teresa Rooney would say. Uh, so that helps to those warm season plants, those vegetables that we like to grow to get a head start on the, on the season. I think I'm going to do that with peppers this year. It's a good tip. Yeah, it's kind of cool. All right, Julie, hey. This year for all the foodscape plants, we're doing a lot of them, uh, as a winter sowing project. Oh, that's great. All right. I'm going to remind our listeners to call or text before it gets too late and uh, we, we run behind. We have so many questions. <laughs> so we have time now for yours, 651-461-9226. Phone, call, or text, whichever is easier on our Smart Garden Show. Uh, we've cooled off. This is the time of the day when it always does that. We, we dropped a degree. We're at 31, uh, and uh, they're calling it light freezing drizzle, fog, and mist now in certain parts of the Twin Cities. Again, 31 degrees heading today to a high near 38. By the end of the week, we're going to be close to 50. We'll talk more weather in a few minutes here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M spending time answering those lawn and garden questions this morning, either by phone or by text. Here's the number for either, 651-461-9226. Julie, let's grab a a quick phone call. I think Vidnik is calling in from uh, White Bear Lake. Vidnik, good morning. I think you have a question about the bee lawn. Bee lawn, yes. And what is your question? How do you take care of it, and does it compete with Creeping Charlie? I don't have much uh, but I would like to that those flowers or something. How do you take care? Can you mow it? Because you would be mowing flowers probably. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, these flowers that uh, grow in a bee lawn, like the white Dutch clover and the selfiel, are low growing, so they're not very tall plants, and they tolerate that mowing. So you you don't mow it as low. Uh, you mow it maybe at about four inches or so. Uh, and so it's a little bit longer lawn, 
also. It's not a high traffic lawn, so I wouldn't put it uh, in a place like if you have kids that are playing games or like under a, around a play set where there's a lot of foot traffic. But it's a great area for a, a, a spot that's maybe a little bit more difficult to mow if you have a slope, uh, if it's a side of your house or an area of your yard that you don't frequent very much. So that's, you know, that's a, a good place for it. But you're right. Yeah, that's a question is how do you take care of it? And, and you would just mow it a little less than you would your lawn, typically. I think there's a lot of interest in uh, you bringing up that uh, bee lawn issue. Another texter says, uh, as far as grass seed with this bee lawn, how does it fare in mostly shady areas? Uh, well, both of the flowers, uh, they do, they tolerate a little bit of shade, So, uh, but I would not put it in a deep shade location. Um, deep shade is really difficult to grow just regular turf. So it's an area, I always recommend thinking about uh, shade perennials in those areas instead of trying to grow lawn where it's going to be really difficult for it to get established. You and I were going to talk a little bit about uh, the waxed amaryllis bulbs. <laughs> yeah. Talk about your success. Sure. Well, I have my first one. My friend Deb gave it to me for Christmas, and I'm I'm quite fascinated by it because I'm looking at this. I'm holding it right now <laughs> in front of me, and I'm looking at this beautiful and pretty firm amaryllis bulb. I can feel it when I squeeze it a little bit, but it's waxed, and you know they're they're perfect for your holiday tables because they don't require any water and it's blooming it's got one bloom that's finishing it's got another big fat bud that's coming out and some leaves and I'm just curious this is my first one so I'm just curious if any listeners have had great success in uh, keeping these bulbs from year to year if they take the wax off if they plant them outside if they let them rest after this so I was just going to put the question out to callers and or to listeners and see if anybody wants to share their experience with waxed amaryllis bulbs. Waxed amaryllis bulbs. Yeah. Okay. We'll find out. They're pretty popular. <laughs> and it doesn't need water. No, it just sits here, but it's blooming. And <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's, it's a tribute to the robustness of these bulbs, I have to say. <laughs> I guess. Uh, again, uh, 651-461-9226. Let's grab another phone call, Julie. Ed is uh, checking in this morning from Sibley. Ed, uh, thanks for calling. What is your question for Julie? Yeah, um, I want to know the uh, proper procedure for starting a, a slip or a cut from a lilac bush. Okay. So you'll want to take cuttings from a lilac uh, that is probably a two-year cutting. It's not... Um, it's not the really hard wood. It's a little bit of the, like, last year's growth. And uh, take cutting from that, uh, make a nice clean cut, dip the end in uh, root tone. It's a rooting hormone. It's a white powder, or you can also buy it in a gel. And put that into some uh, kind of uh, growing media that's really well-drained. So we've used, uh, in our propagation classes at the U, we use just sand, that's moist. You have to keep it moist. Uh, you can also use perlite. You can use um, uh, vermiculite. And then just keep it moist. Don't let it dry out. And then check it by taking a popsicle stick or a little spatula and just lifting the cutting out of really gently because you don't want to pull it right out to look at the roots. You want to be sure that you 
lift it from that soil media or that media so that you can check the rooting and see how it's doing. Once it's created a nice bunch of roots, you can just pot it up into some uh, regular potting soil and then uh, let it grow in a pot and then you can plant it in your yard at that point. All right, very good. Uh, I want to break for weather, but you know what? Nancy's calling in this morning from uh, from Denison. Uh, let's uh, take Nancy's call first. Hi, Nancy. What's your question for uh, for Julie? Well, I have a comment about the waxed amaryllis oh, bulbs. Uh-huh. I've had great I've had great success with them. I've um, um, rejuvenated, whatever you call them, um, as right. they've the the flowers have died off, and you cut them back and let the mm-hmm. stem die off and then I um, take the wax off, pot them up, and um, put them outside. Oh, awesome. I'm for, glad to hear that. That's summer, kind of yeah. What it, that's, yeah, that's what I thought I would do, too. And, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, I'm looking it's, forward it's to just, that. It's just, well, it's just like treating any other one, but remove the wax. Sure. Great. And yes. um, I've had them rebloom again for me. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Nancy. Oh, Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh, plant. Uh, Bill in Waverly may have a comment as well. Uh, Bill, what is what is your question or comment for Julie? Well, I was wondering, since the weather's been so nice, is it still okay to trim apple trees? Boy, um, i i think i would I, I think I would just wait a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I you know I've kind of wondered that too, Bill. I was going to check in with some of our fruit growers at the Arboretum and just ask them what their plans are. Um, I think you can still do it. Uh, You don't want to miss pruning an apple tree, you know, if you can help it because it tends to really produce a lot of the water sprouts. Those are those kind of straight vertical kind of useless (laughs) branches. Um, And so, yeah, I'm going to ask that question and and we're probably going to be doing some articles in our yard and garden news and, so, yeah, I'm going to ask that question, and, and we're probably going to be doing some articles in our Yard and Garden News on pruning. I know we have a new shrubs uh, video series that's coming out, but but it doesn't deal with the apple trees. But that's a great question, and I'm going to put that on my to-do list. All right, to great. Get something in the Yard and Garden News for everybody. Well, we'll uh, we'll reach out to you for a, a final report on that. Maybe not a yeah, final report. I think report. it's okay to still prune. I think you can certainly still prune at this point. I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's break for weather. We have about another half hour of the show to go. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, we'd love to hear from you, either by phone or by text, 651-461-9226. Weather straight ahead here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. This morning, Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota is answering those particular questions. Uh, Julie, there was uh, one that came in earlier, and in, in, um, maybe I'm not sure what kind of lawn this they're talking about. But the question is, are those little violets in the lawn beneficial <laughs> to pollinators? Yeah, they actually are. So these are woodland violets, and they are uh, kind of the small purple flowers they are beneficial for actually for sulfur butterflies. So that's not uh, butterflies aren't technically pollinators; they're kind of accidental pollinators. 
but uh, these are some of these sulfurs are are endangered, and so leaving some violets in in a bee lawn is a great idea, and uh, and they're cute. <laughs> I like them a lot. So. Oh, that's good though. Yeah, so they are beneficial. Yes. Good. Good question. Uh, phone number is also the text number six five one four six one nine two two six. Here's another one. Uh, another text. My burgundy oxalis is so leggy that the stems just fall over. I tried just cutting some of them down, but no sign of new life. Well, the oxalis, this is a house plant. Uh, it has a deep purple kind of burgundy, um, kind of a clover-like uh, leaf, but it has these long, thin uh, stems that can get kind of floppy like that. Uh, I've had good luck in the past with uh, repotting those plants. They grow on these little nodules, and uh, and I would um, I would maybe try repotting them, repotting the plant. And it 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 may be that it's just needs to be a little bit dormant for a little bit too. So uh, if you repot it, if you cut some of it back, I am sure it will come back. If the those um, uh, uh, the, now I call them nodules, but I guess technically they'd be something like a corm or a um, some other kind of a bulb-like item or structure. So I, I would cut it back and I would I would repot it at that point. All right. Um, looking at more, we're getting a lot of questions about grass seed this morning oh. <laughs> and bee lawns too. We'll get to those, but you know what? Another phone call, Ben. Calling in from uh, White Bear Lake this morning. Ben, good morning. What is your question, please? Good morning. About that, uh, VLAN seeds, where to get it from and when to see that this, uh, can we see that right now or should we wait? Sure, you can seed it right now. And our turf uh, group has a list of vendors that sell VLAN mixes. It is at turf.umn.edu. And in the search engine, you can type in, you know, seed mixes or seed vendors. And it, they have a long list of that. And John is working on a new page for our website, for the Art and Garden site, that talks about purchasing grass seed. It's not ready yet, but it should be up in the next month or so. But, yes, you can seed it now. Uh, it would be considered dormant seeding, which is uh, allowing that, uh, getting that grass seed down now and then as the, Weather warms up, that seed germinates on its own. We, uh, again, getting some questions about where do you buy quality grass seed, large home centers versus garden stores, how do you know if it's quality seed, things like that. I know you can't recommend yourself, Julie, things, but I I, I feel just with a little experience on my end with, uh, with grass seed that we've got great garden centers. We do. Uh, my friends at uh, Bachman's and Girton's, for two examples, but we have many more uh, that uh, that sell the, this really quality grass seed. Wouldn't you say at least check with them? Yes, you can certainly go to your local garden center and uh, and check with them. And I'm just looking here at the turf grass. Uh, this is the home lawn care newsletter from our turf group. So John writes a lot of these. And uh, there's information there on tips for purchasing quality grass seed too. So, and also finding the right grass seed, purchasing it, mixes, uh, really good information here. So this is this is at uh, turf.umn.edu. 
Oh, good. But good yeah, resource. check with your. I always say, you know, form a relationship with your local garden center. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of knowledgeable people. We're lucky in Minnesota to have a great green industry that cares about doing the right things for landscapes, and that includes providing really good product for us to purchase. Another uh, apple tree, crab apple tree that needs trimming. Should I wait mm-hmm. or can we do it now? Love the show. Yeah, so I am just I'm going to check on that. I okay. I think it I think you can still go ahead and prune it. Um basically at this point the the reason we would be hesitant about it is because of the warm weather we're thinking, well, is it going to you know, are our insects going to wake up, so to speak, come out of yeah. dormancy? Are we going to have issues with bacterial diseases or fungal diseases? Um at this point, uh, you still need to do some pruning on your plant. Um, and so I'm going to check on that. And if people want to just uh, hang tight, if they're a little bit uh, gun-shy about that, I can, I, I've can. i sent an email out uh, to our fruit grower. Okay. And, uh, and we'll do something in Yard and Garden News. So check our website. And that website is? It's extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden, and we have a, a comes out twice a month. It's called the Yard and Garden News, and that's where we put current information that we are getting lots of questions about. This is a really good topic for that venue. And we'll remind folks, Julie, let's do that before you leave us today, Sounds too. Sounds good. Good point. Uh, tell you what, Tim is on the horn calling in from uh, Chaska this morning. Tim, what is your question? Good morning. Good morning. Say, I've got a uh, Honeycrisp apple tree that I planted probably eight years ago, and it never blossomed. So then last year I grafted another Honeycrisp branch onto it, and lo and behold, I got blossoms. But then when the apple started forming, it got and just dried up. Anything I need to be doing different? Uh, you broke up there on the last, uh, what happened, you said, and then. So if you could repeat that, that would be great. Oh, oh I think we lost him. I think we lost him. Yeah, Tim, well, call if back. you want to call call back and and uh, yeah, we missed that last part. Like yeah, the there was uh, there was a <laughs> cut out in your phone there. Just uh, just call us back if you if you have a chance. Texter yeah. said not a question, but it said uh, it says I had a huge flock of robins on my front lawn yesterday. Oh. It seemed like they were eating whatever was available. Oh. So yeah, if you have a crab apple tree, I've seen a lot of birds gathered under crab apple trees because the. There's no snow, and they can get to the uh, fruits True. that have dropped off. Greetings, this texter says. Have you ever heard about using rice as a fertilizer for orchids? I have not. I would <clears throat> not use rice. Rice, if that gets wet, it's going to smell, and it's going to mold. And Yeah, I would not use that. Hmm. Use, a good, use a good orchid mix, uh, a, a fir bark or, or another uh, type of mix. So, But don't, I wouldn't use rice. Here's a another texture with a sense of humor. I'd like to thank whatever country Creeping Charlie was imported from. I'd like to send them a gift. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, let's uh, let's a lot of things like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hang Actually, on. Actually, it's our fault because we brought it here. <laughs> oh, it it is. Oh, Tim is back. By the way, let's. Oh, good. Uh, good. Tim, I want to hear about the honey. Thanks, first. Tim. Let's repeat your question, uh, please. Thanks. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah, I've got this honey crisp apple tree that I planted about eight years ago, and it never blossomed. So last year, 
I got a branch from a friend of mine, a Honeycrisp branch, grafted it on, and lo and behold, I got blossoms. Uh, but then once they started forming into apples, they got about pea size and dried up. And I'm wondering if I've got to do something differently or... So my question is, where were those apples? Were they on your tree or were they on the branch you grafted? On my tree. On your tree, okay. Um, Let's see, they dried up. So it could be a number of things. It could be the, um, I don't, it's interesting with the grafting. So I think it would probably be related more to conditions So uh, usually a tree will drop fruit. I think it would probably be related more to conditions. So uh, usually a tree will drop fruit, and and Honeycrisp is notorious for self-pruning, we call it, uh, where they literally drop a a whole bunch of their apples. They they grow in these big clusters of sometimes six little tiny apples, and they'll drop a bunch of them. So it could be that, uh, that this year or that the last year the plant it's their it's the first year it's it's fruiting and it has not got enough maturity plants have to go th- get to a maturity point where they can actually produce fruit but honeycrisp do that they self prune so this year hopefully you'll get another great crop of apples and it will have another year under its belt so to speak of growing I would just be sure it's watered well. You know, we've had a couple of really hot summers, three hot summers, very dry. So it could also be stress, environmental stress that caused it to drop all that fruit as well. So it's a combination of things. It's the fact that the plant does this. It's a natural occurrence that it will self-prune. But then combine that with hot, dry conditions, and it could have overstressed. The tree could have been too stressed to hang on to that fruit takes a lot of energy to flower and even more energy to put out a lot of fruit. So um, so try it again. Hopefully it will work and things will do well. Um, it's interesting that you grafted a branch from another Honeycrisp and then you got fruit because typically uh, you need for apple production two different cultivars to cross-pollinate in order to get fruit. So it's, I'm curious about that. And... And, uh, you know, if your neighbor has a crab apple tree, that can also be a pollinator as well. Hmm. Interesting scenario. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, we need to take a quick break. More show to come here in our Smart Garden Show, 651-461-9226. We'll grab some more text messages when we come back here on 830-WCCO, where it's 31 degrees. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Just a reminder, coming along next hour, as usual, our Home Improvement Show. Andy Lindis from Lindis Construction answering those home improvement questions. So keep that in mind. In the meantime, our Smart Garden Show continues uh, with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Julie, uh, uh, folks have been wanting you to repeat, well, the the website again and uh, how we find, well, there's so much information there. What is that website? Yeah, Yeah, so our website is Extension. Dot umn.edu. We are under the yard and garden section of that website. Um, the other website I referred to is turf, tuf.umn.edu. 
for people who are interested in the home lawn care newsletter and also that um, where to purchase uh, good grass seed, good quality grass seed. So we were talking a lot about dormant seeding earlier. Uh, Yard and Garden also has, we have Yard and Garden News, which comes out two times a month, has current information about things that we're seeing as educators out there dealing with horticulture, indoor and outdoor. And you can sign up for that uh, news to get a little alert in your email box with a tip, and that will um, uh, that will come right to your email, and, and you can just sign up for that on our website. Very good. Extension.umn.edu. Yes. Great place. Another phone call time. Nancy is calling in from Edina this morning. Hi, Nancy. What's your question, please? Good morning. I just have a, a funny comment. My sister lives in California. She went to the greenhouse and she found a couple of potted plants that looked pretty good and asked me if I knew what they what, had I heard of them. And they're creeping Charlie. They're selling them in pots for like $15 a pot. They, Whoa. Uh, it, it, <laughs> so they're selling them. And she wanted to know if I ever heard of them. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, hey, Charlie, it's also called ground ivy. Ground ivy, yes. So uh, I have some friends who visited uh, Washington State and brought brought me back a, a, just a tag. I don't know how they got the tag. I probably just stuck it in his pocket, brought it back, and it's called ground ivy. I think there's a lot yeah. of people with an idea of maybe they could ship some to California yeah, from here. Maybe eh? you have Make a little business money. going. There you go. Uh, this texter says... I live in a large pond and recently had to cut down an elm and ash next to the pond because they were diseased. What do you recommend I replace them with? I already have a river birch clump nearby. Okay. So uh, along a pond, uh, like the river birch, uh, willows are great. And there are nice shrubby willows like the pussy willow, uh, which is uh, salix discolor. That is a wonderful early season pollinator plant. It gets quite tall. It is about, I think it gets to be about 10 feet tall, and it's a, a multi-stem shrub. So that's not a tree, but uh, still a really great plant to have. And it blooms so early and puts out a lot of pollen for those early pollinators. So that's it's a native plant also, so it's a great plant. There are other kinds of willows as well, too. Uh, but another plant that would be a good one, too, is a white swamp oak. It is a pretty adaptable plant. It's a good uh, urban plant. It's a good native plant. Uh, really a, a good option, too. And oaks provide a lot of habitat for a whole array of, of uh, beneficial insects. So uh, that's a, that would be a good option as well. To look up other plants, we have a great plant database under our landscape design section on Yard and Garden where you can enter in the conditions that you have, so the type of soil, the space that you want to fill, the amount of light that you have, and a lot of other uh, characteristics of the plants, and then click search, and you'll come up with any and all plants that match that criteria. So that's on the landscape design section under yard and garden. Excellent. For those folks that don't know, Julie plays in a, a group, a band uh, called The Abiders, and uh, uh, she answers a lot of garden questions in between sets there. Uh, I bet you do once in a while. Sometimes I do. We do get uh, <laughs> listeners who come out to see, you know, the 
the face with the name kind of thing. Sure. And uh, really enjoy meeting people. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Well, when are you guys playing next? Well, we just played at uh, the Hallberg Center for the Arts, which is a, a nonprofit up in Wyoming, Minnesota. And we played uh, Tuesday, uh, Thursday night uh, as a, a singer-songwriter in the round with another duo, our friends uh, Marvin Katz. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, we're playing as a full band at the Excelsior Brewing, but not until March 9th. So uh-huh. we have to mention that in February sometime. But we'll be playing as a full band that night. Well, you'll have to remind us of that. Because I, I know you'll be on again. Julie, before you leave this morning, we're getting a lot of questions about trimming various trees. And I, I'm just going to list some of them. Uh, oak trees, white birch, pagoda dogwood. Uh, and let's see what else. Another pagoda dogwood. Here's a pagoda, pagoda dogwood tree that uh, planted a few years ago. It grew two trees intertwined. Should I prune one off? But generally speaking, what do you think about oaks and, and birches and things like that? Uh, I'm just going to look up here. We have a, a great um, bit of information, a, a newsletter called My Minnesota Woods that's produced by our Natural Resources Group. And uh, right now for oak trimming, the current oak wilt risk status in the Twin Cities is safe. So you can look at this site. Uh, we also have a web page on oak wilt uh, in Minnesota, which is the big concern uh, our timing for pruning is November until late March, and then the high risk time starts in April. Now that may vary, so if you're if you're looking to prune an oak right now, you may want to do it now. Um, but I think with the other plants too, I'm going to do some checking on on pruning. But I think I think you could prune, uh, you know, some of your other your maples and things like that too. You might get a little bit of sap running in your maples considering the weather that we're having but yeah it's okay that's fine especially as we head toward 50 degrees by the end of the week yeah. wow uh I here's think it's I, gonna get cold again <laughs> julie we have about a minute to go in fact less than a minute maybe you could do a real quick one here uh they want they've been trying to get good apples on their 15 year old honey crisp they start out really good then get all bumpy and they're not edible uh, any yeah. should they spray i guess is their question so this is uh apple maggot and uh, it is an insect that drills into, lays its eggs in the apples, and that's why. And, they, and then the larvae create these tunnels, and that's what causes this bumpiness that's to happen. It. But right. take a look at our uh, uh, fruit page under Yard and Garden. There's a lot of good information on pest management for apples. Excellent. We got to run extension.umn.edu. Julie, yes. thanks so much. Always fun to have yeah. you on the thanks, show. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon, huh? Sounds good. Very good. Julie right. Weisenhorn from the U of M. Again, check out that website and get to the Arboretum. Just uh, uh, You can reserve a spot on uh, online. you got to do that for sure. But uh, extension.umn.edu and get those home improvement questions ready.